All right, let's do this. Peanut, if you're staying in the room, no talking. Hello, and welcome to the PhotoWork Podcast, the talky and touchy-feely version of my book, PhotoWork, 40 Photographers on Process and Practice. I am Sasha Wolf. Happy to say, joined as usual by my friend and producer, the Steve Lawrence to my Edie Gourmet. (laughs) (laughs) That is reaching back. (laughs) (laughs) When was the last time you thought of Steve Lawrence and Edie Gourmet? I couldn't tell you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Aren't you so happy that I reminded you of them? I could see the black and white in my head as yeah. you say it. <laughs> Raymond on the Bassanova. Um, yep. this, that's Michael Chauvin Dalton, everyone. My <laughs> friend. My friend and your friend. <laughs> By the way, we found out a couple of weeks ago that we found out just how important you are in case there was any doubt, which there wasn't. There wasn't any doubt for me, but... <laughs> I'm just boring without you. I mean, oh. <laughs> you know, so you you may never be absent from an intro again. <laughs> I appreciate that. I thought it was fine. <laughs> it was not fine, but thank you. <laughs> Checks in the mail. Um, okay, so... <laughs> Finally. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Hilarious. <laughs> Oh boy, oh boy! Um, how are you doing? <laughs> oh, I'm doing okay. I, um, you know, the, today is uh, you know, black and white photo day, which is my favorite class to teach. So I'm always happy when I leave school on a day fun, like fun. today. Yeah. Yep. And uh, you know, enjoying the cooling off of the weather, and mm-hmm. and still, you know, always busy. <laughs> yeah, I know you are very busy. <laughs> well, I think we have a great episode this week. Mm-hmm. It's with the uh, artist, photographer, filmmaker, Diana Marcosian. Yes. And I'm going to ask you your thoughts about the episode. But before I do, so you know this, but I'll say this to, hmm. to our listeners, that the conversation, you know, I try not to shoehorn in things. And, and as I think our listeners know, sometimes that means... I have to clean things up. So we yes. don't ever really <laughs> explain exactly what the main the main part of our conversation centers around Diana's solo show at ICP, International Center of Photography, right now. The museum has two shows, Julian Laub and, and Diana's show up. And, uh, Quite it's called, a lineup. Yes. Yeah, it's really amazing. Yeah. It's, it's for people out of town, worth a trip in. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Diana's show is called Santa Barbara, and that's what we sort of center the the conversation around. And so I want to read the description from, from the ICP website. Following the collapse of the Soviet Union, one of the first American television programs to be broadcast in Russia was Santa Barbara. Watching from her childhood home in Moscow with her family, Diana Marcosian saw the soap opera as a window into a world of fantasy, escape, and the American dream. Santa Barbara, California became a mythical place that loomed large in the family imagination, and eventually, through her mother's sacrifices, it became their home. 
In her version of Santa Barbara, Marcosian reconstructs and reexamines both the Russia and the United States of her childhood, tracing her family's real-life move as their dream became reality. An extension of her documentary practice, the project allows Marcosian to relive her childhood on her own terms, inviting us to step into her family's collective memory using archival family materials, staged images, and a scripted film. Marcosian grants access to her family's story and also to her process. The tension between performance and reality is further complicated by her willingness to pull back the curtain and expose her tools. As it moves from Moscow to the United States, Santa Barbara tests and challenges the limits of truth, fiction, documentary, and memory. I think that's a great, it's like, you know, yes, that's the show. I think if you said it during the show, you still couldn't have explained it better. Right. <laughs> because that, <laughs> yeah. it's such a complex weaving together of, of truth, fiction, and filmmaking, and photography. Uh, it, it's so interesting. Yeah, so I mean, I describe it. I, I say to Diana in our talk that, to me, it was like a hall of mirrors. And mm -hmm. you're like, wait, what? You know, it's very, it's confusing at times, what's real, what's not real. But it's, as I also say, it's this just incredibly immersive experience. Anyway, it's a wonderful yeah. exhibition and project Aperture did the book. So that's right. Um, that's right. It was yeah. the book. I mean, one of the centerpieces of the show is this, she actually made a movie. I mean, like it is a legit movie. So that's mm. playing during, in the room right. with the photographs. So anyway, it's, it's, it's really wonderful. And that is actually what I really enjoyed about this conversation was the making of that, the making of that film, the making of this project, mm -hmm. uh, because it is a, a bit of an emotional roller coaster. I mean, just think of this idea of having to cast people to play your family, to play your mother in their relationship with you, which you have a, an incredible conversation about. And because of the story, this was a very difficult situation and mm -hmm. also think about it as a filmmaker. I mean, there's a lot going on. There was a lot going on. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously extremely painful for Diana, the process, and it's just a very painful part of her life. And so that pain and that intensity and the emotion is in our conversation. And mm -hmm. um, it was very moving to me. A absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And just one quick note uh, in terms of doing a little cleanup, as you say, mm -hmm. there are some background noises in about the first 10 minutes of the show. And you know, I just wanted to give the audience a heads up. It was something we did not know was happening at the time. Yeah. Well, without further ado, why don't we get to it? So, Michael, if you don't mind, please take it away. My pleasure. And here is your conversation with Diana Marcosian. Donna Marcosian, welcome to the PhotoWork Podcast. Thanks for spending time today to do this. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. A lot's been going on for you in the past couple of years. When did the show at SF MoMA open? It opened in July. In July. Okay. So, wow. So, I don't know why in my head it was earlier than that. So, it's obviously been a particularly big explosion of attention and whatnot in the past six months. And we'll get into all that. But can you tell, it's funny, I was thinking about this, I always ask people to 
give us some history of one's life, one's origin story, how you got to where you are today, so that I don't I don't have to read people's bios. But I was thinking like with you, your work has become so autobiographical that I feel like I know a lot of these <laughs> things. But for our listeners, yeah, g- give us a rundown. And then you don't obviously have to get too in the weeds on the stuff we're going to talk about with Santa Barbara. But yeah, the outline of, of things would be great. So I was born in Moscow, uh, Russia. I'm Armenian and came to America when I was a little girl and grew up in California and finished my master's in New York and basically spent a decade traveling all around the world, teaching myself how to use a camera <laughs> and then going wherever you know I, I was kind of uh, interested in, in learning more about the camera became almost a compass for me. I would go and study countries, stories, and create projects around the things that interested me. And the most recent project that I worked on uh, brought me back to America, which was in 2017. I started learning more about my family and moved back to California in 2018 and started working on this really deeply personal project about my mom and the story of how my family immigrated to America. And you said graduate school, and, and what, what graduate school were you at? What did you study? So I studied here in New York at uh, Columbia and wanted to be a writer, you know, signed up for all, for all these courses in creative writing. And the initial interest was journalism and this idea of being in someone else's life and having a chance and really the privilege to be involved in the world in a more intimate way. I think there was this real hunger to see things differently, to experience life differently. And for me, journalism was really the, the way in. I didn't expect to find photography. I didn't expect to become a photographer. And certainly didn't think that this would be my life, you know, a decade later. How did you discover photography? I mean, just what were the what was the nuts and bolts of that? Yeah, I was in uh, one of my classes and we had a guest speaker who was a photojournalist. And she came in and shared her work. And it was the work, but it was also just her personality, this real, genuine, pure approach to creating something and really creating the work for the work's sake and not for recognition. It was just a very pure approach to a career. And I think I was really hungry for something like that because to me, this hasn't been a career. This has been my life. And I wanted something that deep. It's mm-hmm. it's really... A, just an extension of me and has been an extension of me. It's, it's not something that I can, you know, look at objectively and see it as, as like a career that I've created. It's almost a life that I've lived. Well, I think that, you know, it's interesting. I think that happens with a lot of artists, but also for sure this space that you're in and you first were in before the work became so personal but more of that sort of photojournalism slash sort of fine art space where process 
is so all-encompassing, it does just become a way of life. I think that that can be both really beautiful and also a little perilous, but maybe that's part of the fun too. I don't know. Mm. I think, you know, certainly with, you know, when you start traveling the world and becoming immersed in other cultures, and I mean, it's so intimate that how can that not feel so mm. enveloping, really? Mm. You're shooting on assignment a lot as you're traveling around and getting really interesting assignments, but you're also making personal projects. So how, do, how does that tease itself out? You know, what's the first big personal project? I mean, I, I spent a lot of time on your website, obviously, and doing a lot of research and just really had a wonderful time, by the way, with your work. What was the first, because what's on your website may not be the first big personal project that you did. And by personal project, I don't mean like Santa Barbara. I mean, you know, work that wasn't done for an assignment. What was it and how did that come to be? And did you start realizing you were sort of now moving in a maybe slightly different direction than just, you know, being a journalist or a photojournalist? Yeah, my entry to photography was photojournalism. So I, when I finished graduate school, I got a one-way ticket to Moscow and um, you know, spoke and speak Russian. So that, that was um, the reason behind moving to Russia. And it was in 2011, in January, that the suicide bomber uh, bombing happened at an airport um, and I was just arriving the moment that that bombing happened. Mm -hmm. And that really shifted a lot for me because I'm at the airport. This you know kid who's close to my age has just killed himself. We're all at the airport, uh, you know, having really experienced this. And, you know, suddenly... I'm interested in finding out who the family is. And suddenly mm -hmm. I'm on a flight to uh, Chechnya to find the family and to meet his mom. And it was a very, it was a turning point for me personally and for the sort of work that I started making moving forward. I moved to Chechnya. I started living there. And this is, you know, a region that's been through two decades of war and is now going through an insurgency and I'm 21 years old and I'm living uh, choosing to live here and doc mm -hmm. document you know the aftermath and the coming of age of girls who are growing up in a region that is becoming more conservative but on the same at the same time more stable you know, or the veneer of it is very stable. It was, it was just, I think that was the first project that I really worked on was girls in Chechnya and the, and, and the coming of age story there. And I think it was one thing that I could relate to. I was 21 and I was coming of age myself and these girls became my friends. I attended their weddings. I attended, you know, their parties and became a part of their world and really enjoyed it. And at the same time, was experiencing the, my own trauma because I was very close to the story because it was no longer really an assignment. It was never an assignment. It was my life that I, that I guess I was documenting in the process of, of living there. 
that was my first project. And Chechnya became closer to home than I had ever experienced before. What are you aware of at, the, uh, at this time? I mean, obviously, you have a lot of clarity looking back now, 10 years on. But I mean, are you thinking about, I'm asking you this because of, you know, I'm in the fine art photography world, right? So this is just sort of a a question based on my own sort of position. Are you thinking about work as art at all? No, I'm not thinking about work as art. I'm thinking about creating images that feel cinematic. I'm interested in experiences. I, I think those early years had less to do with a career and anything art-related, it was more about creating experiences for myself. Mm -hmm. I had this real fire to see the world, and suddenly I was at the front seat, you know? I was backstage, and I had this real intimate look at a region that no one else was in, and, you know, it, what felt exciting was to learned that my images were suddenly part of the archive. You know, when, you, mm -hmm. when you're looking up Chechnya, suddenly they're there and they're the only ones there. And you mm -hmm. kind of understood your responsibility was so much greater than you had expected. And again, like I think the age had a lot to do with it where I was really young and that yeah. responsibility weighed deeply on me because nothing that I did in that region felt casual and I had to be careful because... It was not necessarily my culture. It was not necessarily my people. And who was I to have that sort of authority and res responsibility to, to be there? And, you know, I think these conversations become, are becoming much more the norm today. But de 10 years mm -hmm. ago, it was very easy to parachute in and document yeah. and leave. And what interests me now is just even thinking about whether I would choose to go to Chechnya today you know, had I started yep. my career in 2021. I don't, I don't know. I lean towards saying no, I probably would, would have not. Yeah, a lot has changed really quickly. I mean, it's amazing how, you know, once there's like an epiphany in the zeitgeist that it just, it's there. And then you're like, wait, that was right in front of us the whole time. It's like a personal epiphany, except it's not, right? It's cultural and then it's personal. And I'm not, by the way, weighing in on whether or not, you know, I mean, I think the series is, is really beautiful and, you know, but it's obviously for the people there to, to tell the, the visitor, you, whether it makes sense or not. So after that is, did you do Inventing My Father? Yeah. And now we're getting personal, um, really personal, mm -hmm. overtly personal, and so how do you how are you thinking about that project, but also where you know where it sits in the photo space? Yeah, um, I mean that project broke me. Honestly, that project shifted me and shifted my work. But something broke within me when I was creating that, and I started to understand the almost the power of photography, the power of creating something and, and its ability to help me heal. And that shift 
I think slowed me down. And I started to understand that work wasn't about an output. Work wasn't about just making something and moving on. Work was about living that experience and really Mm -hmm. being with it for for a while. And that was a hard time for me. Will you just tell people about, rather than me explaining it, we just tell people what the, what the project is, and then please, I'm sorry I interrupted you. Yeah, the um, Inventing My Father is a project about my journey back to Armenia to find my father, who I was separated from when I was seven. So this was my attempt to discover my father, build and rebuild a relationship with him 15 years after we were separated. I was a missing child for him, so we hadn't spoken in the in that time. He didn't know what I looked like, and that was mutual. So this was really a discovery that we were making together of one another. And when I look at it today, I <laughs> and I read a lot of what I wrote about that relationship, I recognize that I, there's a few things that happen. One, I really it hits me that I could have only made that work then. Those aren't the feelings mm-hmm. that I have today. And and the second part that hits me is just how real that pain is and how much how how much I've tried to work through it and how little progress I've made. And for all the progress you feel like you make, one thing changes or one thing churns and you're back to square one. And it's it's just really it's just really interesting when you f- start making work that, that that feels that personal. It's very hard to think about how do you make work about other people moving forward because if you can barely get your story right and that the story keeps shifting, these emotions keep shifting, how, how do you expect to get someone else's <laughs> story, you know, mm-hmm. not even right, but just just close to being truthful or j- close to being honest? It, it's just, it starts to bother me. It starts to weigh in on me because I get how hard it is with my own life, let alone someone else's now. I mean, is was that realization and sort of sitting with those feelings, but more importantly, in some ways, those concepts and how slippery the truth is to hold on to, is is that why you wound up where you are today, making work that no longer attempts that sort of objective truth with Santa Barbara, sort of a full capitulation in a way to the futility of that idea? In part, I think it just, I just started to feel like I was repeating myself. My work just started to feel like it had the same style, it had the same look to it, it had the same feeling. I knew exactly how I felt when I'm, when I would make these images. And I just felt like, is this really it? Like I'm 27 and this is like, I, I get it, I get what I'm doing. And, you know, whether it's good or not is really irrelevant. It was just that I felt like I was just repeating something and then you get hired for the same thing that you've been doing for, you know, the last seven, eight years. And it's like, that's not me. That's, it's just, that's never been me. I, I don't do things that just look good or feel good or sound good. It's just never been my interest. I want to be challenged and I want to be 
challenging myself to think a little more and think differently. And I think this is where photography started to become interesting for me because the idea of creating conceptual work that gives back or that says something new, that tries to say something new, is maybe the more truthful version of photography because it's just so much more difficult. It really allows you to be wrong and allows you to look at your work and start saying, okay, this may not be right and that's okay, but like, let's, let's dissect this even more. You know, Santa Barbara maybe was an example of that. It's not the first work that I've made that, that does that, but it was an example of that in the most, I guess, linear way where I created a script. I took it to my family and it was a script about our family's story of how we came to America and everyone in the family disagreed with it. And this was the version that I remembered. So I thought, okay, well, it's got to be close to the truth. I mean, it came back with edits from my mom, edits from my dad, and edits from my brother, everyone crossing out each other's lines, remembering things completely differently. It became the Rashomon of my family story, you know, which just got me so excited because I'm like, all right, maybe, maybe we're finally somewhere truthful with all of these you know, uh, memories and interpretations and, and edits. Maybe we're getting closer. Yeah, you said in an interview, something I love, you said the idea of memory is beautiful until you're confronting it and it becomes a maze of perspectives, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. which I really love. Um, can, can you run down the, you know, Santa Barbara, which is now at International Center of Photography, you and Julian Laub, have your solo shows there um, together right now, which I think is quite wonderful. For people who haven't had a chance to go go see it, and that'll be many listeners because people are all over the world, but can you, can you tell people about how it's uh, laid out? Yes, yeah, so Santa Barbara is my family story, and it's all inspired by a soap opera that we used to watch in the 90s in Russia, and it was the first show that came on once the Soviet Union collapsed. So it became this window to America and really a window to a life that didn't belong to, to us, to my family. Mm-hmm. And my both my parents were PhDs and overnight were reduced to nothing, to absolute poverty. And my brother and I, most, most of my childhood was spent picking bottles, selling them and helping our parents buy a loaf of bread and to be able to look back on that <laughs> and even create a book or create work around that is so, you know, it's, it's both painful and, and liberating. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be able to create a show that brings it to life, I think is another form of joy. I, and I didn't really expect it to be that, but I think you know, creating this work has been so cathartic and important, but then to see these images, these scenes from my childhood almost in front of me or in front, like on a wall, just allow me to move on from it in a way that I don't think, you know, these scenes almost haunted me, just felt like this movie that I kept rewatching in my head. And suddenly I don't have to watch it anymore. I've produced it, I've created it, and it can live somewhere beyond my mind. 
And the way that we've laid out the show is the the beginning is with the soap opera kind of TV screen is with the Santa Barbara introduction and across from it, we've got these super eights from my childhood, just like these bright, beautiful memories of what childhood was like. And that that's all from my archive. Then you step into the Moscow apartment with all these scenes that I'm describing. We've got a carpet there, a little rug rather, and just these little touches like the telephone, the ashtray, there's an icon, these touches from childhood, the wallpaper that we used to have in the apartment. And then there's an arc that takes you to America. And you're confronted with this life-size projection of the film that I created. And around the film are images from Santa Barbara from, for, that, that I've made in California. And that leads into another room. And then um, the fourth wall breaks and there's a reveal that all of this was really made up. And there's the, the casting process is there. I had all these actors write letters to my mother, enticing her to come to America. So they were these aspiring actors. Um, the, my mom's original wardrobe, there's a life-size document of uh, the script that my entire family edited, some behind-the-scenes images, and an image of my family from the original image of my family when we first came to America. So that's kind of the layout of the show, and you're able to enter from both sides. So it's kind of two different journeys into one story. Yeah, I entered the way you just described it. So, mm. and I went not knowing too much. I I knew a bit, but it is it's both incredibly immersive and totally disorienting because you're you're trying to figure out what is archival and what is a recreation, mm. and you know you have hints of things and. You know, sometimes these types of installation, immersive, disorienting, and by the way, I actually, I think your work is really unique. I mean, I've never seen anything like it, but I've, you know, seen things that play with some of the same techniques and I've gotten frustrated. Now that's probably my own limitation, so I'll cop to that, but I did not feel that way with mm. your show at all. I, whether it was, you know, it's hard to know whether it was the mood I was in or whether <laughs> it's just the skill with which you put this together, but I just went with it and I loved it. I mean, I, I had an, a fantastic time as did the friends I was with. In fact, one friend I was with, we had to drag him out. We, we just were due somewhere else at a certain point And we were having a hard time getting him to leave, but there's so much there. It's it's so packed. It's like you dumped your brain out, um, <laughs> and every little you know nook and cranny was sort of examined. And so, if I'm if we're not being clear, and you know, it's it's a sort of hall of mirrors, right? Where you know everywhere you turn, you're sort of confronted with a puzzle visually. Mm. And then there's this movie playing, which is just really incredible. And you definitely feel how devoted, obsessed, whatever the word is, that you were to the process, right? I mean, it has that feeling of like, I kept thinking this must have been so much fun. And, you know, I use that word, whatever, you know, I know that 
there's no way it wasn't, of course, also very painful because of the story of you leaving Russia and coming to a place where you were complete, everything was strange to you and you were separated from your biological father and et cetera, et cetera. But there is a, a sort of joyfulness in the bounty that you give to the viewer, I think. And that's how I felt. And, and a lot of humor in it. And especially when you get to that place where you break the fourth wall, to me, that was really funny. Mm. And, you know, I read that um, you auditioned, you know, more than or over 200 people to play the role of your mother. And I just thought, well, at a certain point, you must have just been working through something because <laughs> like, I'm sure I'm sure you met a number of people who could have done the job, right? But this must have just been just incredible therapy session, ongoing therapy session for you that part of you probably didn't want it to end. I mean, I don't know. That was the assumption I made when I when I read that. And I, I just think, well, there, there it is. That's, you know, you became an artist, right? Like, that's the life of an artist. Mm. I don't mean to uh, so, sort of make this concept of being an artist too precious, but it does seem to me, you know, at some point you really fully embraced this idea of the artistic process, right? Was, was there a point in which you just knew this is what I'm, I'm leaving this other thing behind? It came before this. It definitely came before this. It probably came in 2016 where I just felt not, you know, that's probably, what, five years into journalism, 2015 even, five years. Like, just like this, this isn't really fulfilling in that same way. Mm -hmm. And then it just, with every project, it just started to deepen, deepen, deepen. And with Santa Barbara, it, it, you know, I, I wish I could say that we really found someone before 200, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I really, I didn't, I didn't. And, and I think when, you know, when one casts an actor to play their mother, you know, that's when they know how difficult it is to cast <laughs> because it's not casual. It's not no. casual. And, it's also a really nuanced character. I wasn't looking for a woman who would be victim to this story. And I think when you read the description of Svetlana, when you read the script and, and really understand the story, you think that she's suffering or you think that, you know, this person is... I needed somebody who was thoughtful, who was deep, but who also had a sense of humor and who could also bring energy to this role that that would make you love her. Yeah. And that's a very that's 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 a that's like a soulmate <laughs> that I'm looking mm -hmm. for. So, mm -hmm. I needed I needed to be very careful with who I chose. And I and I think we were very careful in the end who we chose because I understood that this person was going to you know, essentially be the face of this project <laughs> and needed to really I needed to really love her and and I do, and I and I think that came from from slowing down and not rushing this because I think that in my head I thought, oh well, this project's going to take about six months to finish, and three years later, <laughs> you know, right. and and that's good, you know. I look at that as a good thing because um, we gave it the time that it needed. The painful part of this was 
reliving it. And, you know, when we're shooting the scene with my father and, and mother arguing, I'm not creating that scene as a director. I'm directing it, but I'm creating this as a daughter. And I see that I'm suffering through that <laughs> as I'm making it. And at any point, I can tell these two to stop, and they will. That was powerful. Mm-hmm. And that felt like, th- that felt, <sighs> I just remember that feeling pretty well where I got to tell, like we were filming this scene in the old apartment of my parents arguing. And I just kept asking them to continue, to continue, to continue. And then I just told them to stop. And they mm-hmm. just what went to separate rooms. They're like, should we just repeat that? You know, and at one point, the next door neighbor knocked and just said, look, like, I'm married as well. And I know you guys just moved in here, but you guys really just need to, (laughs) you you know, you you need to quiet down. Like, we can all hear you. And if you need help, like, let us know. (laughs) So, you know, it felt that real. You know, Mm -hmm. it felt that real. And it felt difficult, felt painful. Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. I was crying as I was I was directing, I was photographing, and then I was reliving. It was three different mm-hmm. versions of me in one moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is a lot. Did your mom need to like or love the actress who portrays her? She needed to respect her. And mm-hmm. I think they both needed to respect each other. I didn't want to introduce them to one another until the day of filming because... I, w- I wanted this the mystery to be there, but I also wanted Ani to create her own version of, of Svetlana and to really mm-hmm. have her own understanding. You know, it's really trusting the people who you choose and and really allowing them to to take ownership of the role. Mm-hmm. And I think that was really important for me because at a certain point, it's like this this isn't Svetlana anymore. Well, you don't want her trying to do a imitation. Right. Which is very suffocating, I think, for an actor. Unless it's Meryl Streep doing Margaret Thatcher or something, I don't know, or <laughs> Julia Child. So Santa Barbara has, this body of work has just really exploded and it's gotten a, a really significant amount of attention. It was at SFMOMA as we said, and now it's at ICP. Aperture did the book. The book is really beautiful. Congratulations on that as well. There's been a lot of press about it. How has that felt? And I'm sure in some ways that's complicated. Um, Not just how that's felt, but how that's, because this is a podcast that's listened to by primarily, although not exclusively, by photographers, people I think are interested in in how these things change the trajectory of someone's career and therefore life. So if you could talk about that stuff, it'd be great. Um, There's a version of me that's try not to be bothered by that because I'm thinking about the next project that I'm that I'm going to make which is feels a little more difficult than Santa Barbara and I'm trying to you know put my attention on that which is what I get excited about you know mm-hmm, this of course the attention something gets that's really that's wonderful and that's the side effect but I didn't need this attention to know that this was special you know I didn't mm-hmm. I didn't make it to, to have it be at ICP or or SFMOMA and whatnot, 
I made it because <laughs> I had to make it. And like mm-hmm. that, that, that's how I've always worked since I've been 20. And I, I hope that that's my fire for, for the rest of my career. Otherwise, I'm in it for the wrong reason, you know? Amen. <laughs> and I don't know if that's really changed my trajectory. It hasn't. I'm just, you know, more concerned with the next thing being as deep because I think when you touch something that feels so important to you, you want to give that same weight to the next project. And it doesn't all have to be tragic, traumatic, you know, it can have joy and and beauty around it. I just mean the same thoughtfulness. And I think that that's what excites me. It's like, and kind of disables me because unless something is thoughtful in that way, I'm not touching it. Like, I just don't want my name behind it. And that's... That's hard because then I find myself really not producing. And, you know, that's something that I'm trying to figure out because I think it can be a little lighter than the way I approach things. But I'm, you know, this is part of my personality. It's all of me or none of me. You know, it's either I'm 200% in or I'm just not really doing it. So, yeah, it hasn't changed me. It's, it's, It's allowed me to understand that when I believe in something that... I don't really need that external validation. You know, no one believed in Santa Barbara, frankly, when I was starting it. And I had very little support for the idea and the project and the making of. And I think the one thing when I look back that I can really say that I'm proud of is the fact that I really believed in it. And for all the failures that we had, because there's a whole book to be written about how many failures we had in this project, to how hard it was to make, you know, I really, I'm happy that I didn't stop. There was a point where I thought it's over and, and somehow we just kept moving forward with it. I mean, I, I don't think it's unusual when creating something that's extremely idiosyncratic, extremely personal, you know, sort of mixing really profound emotional truths with almost a certain kind of magical realism. Mm. Like, I don't think it's unusual for people not to understand where you're going. And so you have to just, you have to believe, you know, I mean, you you just have to, because it's just, frankly, too difficult. You know, when I used to write short films, they were really bonkers on paper. And, you know, often people didn't get it. But I got it and I knew what I was going to do. And, but that ability to sort of inspire oneself, you know, is, and, and of course, just to find your own confidence and motivation is, is so important um, mm. in whatever we do. So, you know, you said you're on to something new. You're, and I think, by the way, as you know, I'm not telling you anything you don't already know, it's extremely common to find yourself in the strange position of getting a lot of attention for a project while you're already on to the next thing. So it can be a little confusing almost emotionally. Everyone wants to talk about this thing that's out in the world now, but often the artist has moved on. But that's par for the course. Is it okay to think about whatever you do, whatever you're working on now as, you know, sketching? I mean, whether it turns out to be the next big thing or not? I mean, do you give yourself permission to work on something that may not 
you know, be something you take all the way to the end? Yeah, I mean, there's so many ideas that, you know, I just bounce back and forth with people. And I, I think this next thing, I I want to hope that it's, you know, it's the next thing I'm committing to is the next few years. But yeah, so many project ideas. I mean, to me, ideas are maybe the cheapest thing. It's the execution that's like, mm-hmm. for every idea I've had, it could be, you know, a real book. And it's like, do am I... Am I making it? Nope. So like, that's just, right. that's just an idea. And I think so much weight is put on ideas. To me, it's the execution. That's really the follow through is what I'm interested in. Like, because that's hard. <laughs> that's, the, that's, that's, that's more difficult than people give credit for. Like I can sit at home and come up with so many different ideas, whether I do them or not is the difference. Well, I would take that a step further, which is sort of what I was getting at, because I like to always inject my own philosophy into every podcast. But, you know, what I what I was getting at is I actually think that it's really important to not just have an idea that you may or may not go through with, but to start on the idea. Like, I find there's this big sort of taboo against or people think, you know, if they start a project and then they don't take it all the way to the end because they realize at some point it's not working for them or that they lose interest or whatever, that that's a terrible thing. I actually think it's good. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a huge proponent of getting things out of your head and starting down the path and that there's no shame whatsoever right. in then saying, you know what, I'm going to get off this path. Because to me... and. <laughs> I apologize to the audience because they've heard me say this before, but this is what I call sketching. And I think sketching is really important Mm. and that we, for some reason, we see it as a negative and aborted project. And it's like, no, I wanted to see where it was going. I needed to see it. I needed to start down the path. I needed to realize some of it to know that I don't want to put three years into it or it doesn't have legs or I'm not going to be able to communicate to my audience well enough. So let me ask you, I've been talking to an artist recently who has this very personal work and he's trying to figure out whether he wants to make prints available for sale. So the idea of selling and entering putting this very personal work of his out into the art world makes makes him quite uncomfortable. Did you ever have, because I think you, you have gallery representation, so did that ever come up for you? Did that ever feel weird, the idea of selling prints? Uh, no, no, because I think you're choosing your career, right? Like you're choosing like the path whether you're telling someone's story or your story or publishing it in a magazine or selling it as a print, it feels like the natural course of this kind of profession, if you will. There's the artist and then there's the practical side of the artist where it's like to continue moving forward as an artist, you need to be able to sustain yourself. I think it's important to see your work in that way because if you don't, then I'm not sure who will. So I, I lean into it more than not. I see you're at Rose, of course. I can't believe I forgot that because I love Rose Gallery. Yeah, I mean, do you think about the prints like being, you know, on the wall of someone's home? What, is that, what does that feel like? 
Yeah, I do. And I see it. You know, I've gone to collectors and I've seen my work hanging. I mean, it's not new either. Like I've, you know, I think I've been in the field long enough that I see, like I've seen, you know, this isn't yesterday that it happened. Like I've, right. you know, I've been collected since I was 23. I don't necessarily have like a negative <laughs> feeling about this because I... No, no, that's good. I'm glad you don't. I'm a print dealer. I'm glad <laughs> I don't want you to have a negative feeling about it. Um, but I just know, you know, I guess it's on, on my mind because of these conversations I've been having with someone else about work that's about their family, right? Mm. So that's that's why I'm, I'm thinking of it uh, specifically. And yeah, of course, a lot. I mean, we just, you know, mentioned Julian Laub's show going on simultaneously with yours, and that work is incredibly personal. It's, it's and a lot, you know, I represent Doug Dubois, who's made incredibly personal work, and Eleanor Carucci, and yada, yada, yada. But I was just, you know, just made me think because of these conversations I've been having with this um, newer friend of mine that, oh, yeah, maybe not everyone is comfortable with that concept. Anyway, no, look, I think it's wonderful, and I'm very devoted to the idea of sharing life experience through art. Mm -hmm. So what's, uh, can you tell us what's sort of going on right now? Are you just continuing to promote the the show, or are you just fully moved on to next projects? Um, so I'm flying to Paris tomorrow for a book signing, and then um, Santa Barbara is going to be traveling to Europe. So that nice. project will go to, I think, two or three museums after in, in Europe. And then I'm personally directing a film on, on the Mexican border. And then that hopefully will expand into this bigger project that I was talking about. So that's kind of the rest of the year <laughs> moving into 2022. Yeah. Well, that's a lot. So you, you'll you'll be at Perry Photo, um, mm -hmm. of course. Yeah, and and congratulations. I saw the the book on the uh, MoMA uh, ten best photo books of twenty twenty one list. So that's must have felt good. Anyway, we'll have a wonderful time in Paris. It's so much fun and being at Perry Photo. And I'm annoyed I'm not going to be there. But anyway, and thank you so much for your time today and for doing this with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Okay. Well, be well and um, thanks again. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Photo Work with Sasha Wolf is produced by me, Michael Chauvin Dalton of Real Photo Show. The executive producer is Sasha Wolf and our theme music is by J. Walter Hawks. You can hear Photo Work on all your favorite podcast platforms. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify, and be sure to subscribe on any one of those services or wherever you listen to podcasts.